Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 66. That is quite a privilege for me since you know that I'm in the fear conquering area of life and business. Well, mostly business. I have someone that you are going to love today, Dr. Melissa Parks from a different side of the world that is also a fear-conquering advocate. I'm not going to tell you too much about her because, of course, she's going to do the talking for today. However, just let me tell you a bit about her amazing achievement. She is an entrepreneur and former therapist who now works as a mindset and resilience coach for entrepreneurs living around the globe. She is also the co-founder of the Location Independent Therapists Community, an online community for mental health professionals living and working across borders. And she is also the host of the newly founded Founders, Fears and Failures podcast, which makes me so proud. I am beyond excited to see a fellow entrepreneur that is taking on their own fears because let's face it, being in the public eye, having a toddler besides it all, making sure that you have your story fully aligned so that you get those lessons to share them with your audience. Let me tell you, that's not an easy task. So welcome, Dr. Melissa Parks. What a pleasure to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you, Roxana. It's such a pleasure for me to be here too. Please call me Melissa. Uh, you know, the doctor, Dr. Melissa Parks is great for the bio, but please just call me Melissa. Wonderful. Melissa, I know you have been through a lot. And I'm telling you this as we talked a few minutes ago that... Since dealing with fear, let's face it, it's not the easiest way of creating a business, of building a meaningful life for you, your family, and the people around. Can you please start by telling us what is your story and how did you get to have this unbelievable mission? Yeah, Roxana, well, thank you so much. Um, you know, it's uh, I told you this right before we pushed record, right? Like, how do I sum up my my life story uh, in a few? Well, I know I don't have to do it in a few minutes, but um, you know. So you mentioned that I have a toddler. Let's start maybe from the present day. I'm I'm based in Seattle. Um, I'm like you said, you know, other side of the globe from you. Um, but I lived in Europe for a lot of years myself too. So it's such a pleasure for me to connect with people who are around the globe as well. And I'm here, I live here with my husband, who's actually from Venezuela himself. We met in Spain uh, and we have a two and a half year old and a dog who I consider a furry toddler. So I, some days I feel like I'm a parent of two toddlers and the fears, gosh, I have such a um, lifelong relationship with fear, I would say. Um, 
I think it's something that I can like look back on and really remember um, some feelings, a lot of challenges around that. Um, and looking back, I think actually as a child, I experienced a lot of anxiety, um, but it wasn't, nobody knew. <laughs> no, it wasn't so, that was like 30 years ago and people didn't, we weren't in the same space in terms of mental health. And my parents just thought, okay, it's like typical fears of a child. And, um, you know, they did the best they could. Uh, and some, so I had, I would say quite a, a simple, maybe childhood growing up and with some of that anxiety. And then everything changed when I got, um, into my twenties and was in university and I went and traveled to Spain. And I don't really know with, with my anxiety and fears, how I wound up on a study abroad trip traveling to Spain, but somehow I did. And before that, I kind of had this whole like five-year plan, so to speak, with my life. I was studying psychology. I wanted to get my PhD at a particular type of school in the U.S. And then I knew exactly what I was going to study after that and how, like the type of clients I was going to work with. And then I went to Spain and I fell in love with the country and suddenly everything went out the window. <laughs> and I just knew I have to come back here somehow. Um, I, 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 I did apply to grad school. I thankfully, I guess, didn't get into grad school, it turned out, which was a bit of a crush to my ego, but it gave me the opportunity to go to Spain for what was supposed to be one year. But as many people who dip their toes into the water of moving abroad find out, it, it didn't turn out to be just a year. Um, I ended up making a life for myself there, and I actually ended up going to grad school in Madrid. And I went on to, to work with expats, expat clients as a therapist in Madrid. Uh, I met my husband along the way. Uh, we moved, we decided to have a new adventure together and moved to Amsterdam, which um, I think you, you lived in Amsterdam previously. Is that right? I Sana, or you lived in the Netherlands? Pretty close. I lived in Antwerp in Belgium, but it was kind of close, oh, like an hour of our drive. Yeah. That's right. But we were introduced through um, a mutual friend uh, in, in the Netherlands. I think that's where I got confused. Yeah. So it was, that was a really amazing experience. But four years ago, we decided to move to Seattle um, back closer to my family because we knew that we wanted to have kids. And we had heard from so many of our friends who were parents that if possible, they recommended being close to grandparents. So it's been really helpful. Although we really miss life in Europe, I'll say my, my heart is divided. It's very much still still in Europe. And again, that's why I love working with clients. I love meet, having colleagues. I love meeting people like you um, that that are living in other places of the world because it's so, it, it makes me feel like even though I'm kind of in my suburb outside of Seattle, I kind of feel like I get a chance to travel the world just sitting at my desk. This is amazing. And what a story. And indeed, it's very fascinating, <laughs> Melissa, how you say that you had that anxiety and you still managed mm. to push through it all and come to Spain and build a life for yourself there. So my question, and I think the question to everyone listening to us and watching us would be, how did you manage to push through that fear <laughs> through anxiety and change your life completely? Yeah, excellent question. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons I was always attracted to the field of mental health was my own experience with anxiety. Uh, and mental health conditions do run in families. So I also will say that I had a lot of, growing up, a lot of things I observed in my family too and kind of wondered, huh, okay, something, I need to learn more about people, right? And how do people work? And so... 
I will say that probably some of my own training um, that did help me, I kind of like picked up some things along the way that really helped. Um, and really what I've found and both as that personal experience of confronting fear and something I've found works really well with my clients is accepting fear. Um, I think for so many years I told myself, you know, it's kind of the natural reaction, right? When I think when we're feeling afraid of something, other people tell us like, oh, it's not such a big deal or, um, you know, just like push that fear out of the way. And I think I, those are the things I tried for a long time. And those are the things that growing up, my parents would say to me. And I always wondered why it didn't work. And then, you know, as I, as I got older and kind of started to learn about fears and anxiety, um, more on a professional level, I began to realize like, actually, that doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and actually it can make fears get even bigger, right? If we're trying to be like, no, 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 go away. Well, then we just have anxiety about the fear. And so for me, it was really getting to a place where I could accept that I don't have to do anything about the fear. The fear isn't going anywhere. It's, um, you know, there's this, uh, story. I think it's the author Elizabeth Gilbert is the first one I heard talk about it. This idea of putting fear in the back seat. It's like you're driving a car on a road trip. Um, you might want to throw fear out of the car, but it is along for the ride and it might be trying to change the radio station and might be climbing all over you. You can't throw it out of the car, but you can like tell it like it has to go sit in the back seat and put on its seatbelt and it can't choose which radio station you're going to listen to. And I think about that a lot. Um, you know, I feel like I'm kind of driving a car through life and I have things that are really important to me. And Spain was one of those things that was important to me. Grad school, becoming a mom, getting married, all <laughs> events that, you know, that along with all the pieces of being an entrepreneur, lots of fears that come up around that. And I've just tried to really say like, fear can be here. It doesn't have to go away, but it doesn't get to choose the direction I'm driving the car. Um, and it doesn't get to, you know, completely like climb on top of me and, and blind me as I'm going along. Melissa, this must be one of the best metaphors that I have heard about fear in a very, very long while. You know, my ideal of fear, as I would explain it um, to my clients, would be it's like a worried mother. But this is more powerful because I could literally see myself driving and fear being in the back seat, but trying to get a hold of me. This is amazing. And thank you for sharing this with us. And I completely agree. We can never let go of fear because it's part of the human system. This is something that I want everyone to truly understand and implement, accept your fear and just use it to your advantage. It's just like the weather. Can you really change the weather? You can't really change it, not really, but you can make some decisions that keep you away from maybe being outside in a thunderstorm, right? Yeah, yeah, I love that metaphor as well, right? I think it's so true. Yeah, we can we can be smarter about it too, because I do think it's important to also listen a little bit to the fear sometimes. And that's something that I think can be can be tricky to figure out. But if you're always like saying like, no fear, no fear, no fear, then you never even get a chance to listen and learn when it might be telling you an important message. Because sometimes 
we don't have to, I mean, we don't always have to, I tell my clients, like you don't always have to like throw yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Sometimes we need to stay in our comfort zone and recharge our batteries and be in a place where we feel a bit more safe. And then we can be more in a place where we can step, you know, even maybe baby steps out of our comfort zone, right? I, I think about like, we don't have to like jump into the deep end, right? You can kind of like wade into the shallow end of the pool. Exactly. And I'm very grateful that you mentioned this because this would be one of my questions that I was thinking I'm going to ask you today. We don't need to struggle. Life does not need to be a continuous, phenomenal way of just coping up with hardship. No, I think that we can truly have it all as we're also recharging and analyzing and i'm such a big believer in making mistakes failing so much and getting the lesson and what are your thoughts on this melissa what do you think about the society labeling mistakes and failure in a not so constructive way maybe yeah yeah well i don't like it <laughs> i will say it, it's something that i want to share about that is that when i when I announced the name of my podcast, so Founders, Fears, and Failures, a lot of people told me like, oh, that's so negative. Why are you talking only about fears and failures? First of all, I thought, well, because we need to talk about it more, right? It, it just is worse if we just, if we don't talk about it. Um, and then also, it's interesting that people assume like that failure is a bad thing, right? That's what I hear when somebody says that is like failure is a bad thing, but actually it's not, right? Like you said, it's a learning experience. And I don't know any way that you can actually, I don't think there's any successful person out there unless they got really lucky <laughs> that hasn't made any mistakes or had any failures. I am just literally ecstatic that you mentioned this because Melissa, if we take Michael Jordan, what did he say many, many years ago? I just failed more than anyone. I literally failed my way to success. That's impossible for us to have everything figured out it's just not how life works and maybe society does keep failure and mistakes in a bad bubble because it hurts mental pain is real when things don't go our way right however in time as we get to be more rational when it comes to our emotions and just take the lesson and what i most of the times do and implement in my own life, Melissa, is to know that next time, at least I'll know what not to do. Maybe the pain is a bit too hard at first so that I can see the lesson. Maybe it's taking a few extra days for me to fully grasp what's the hidden message with a big mess of a situation. However, I know that I can do things different. And what I love about your work, Melissa, is that you put these amazing names, fear and failure in your podcast. And I appreciate that. And I applaud that. It's to courage and guts. So I want you to tell us all about your amazing work. What are your goals with your podcast? Yeah, well, you just said something important that I, I want to make sure we touch on. It's like, that's that's how I see failure or not. That's not how I see failure. Well, failure. That's how I see the fears and the failures, right? Is that it's courageous to be, to know that I can like, I don't need to get rid of fear. 
I don't need to avoid failure. Like I can go in and I know that I'm going to have failures. I know I'm going to have fears and I'm going to do it anyways because it's connected to a bigger, a bigger mission. And I guess I can say that's what I do as well. I mean, it's what I try to help my clients do, but I do it myself as well. And my podcast, my, um, so with the podcast, I just really, it's, it's really focused on particularly on, um, sharing stories of people in the startup ecosystem. So not just any entrepreneur, although I think any entrepreneur would really benefit from hearing the stories, but really in the startup world, there's just an, I would say that any entrepreneur experiences this kind of being on a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster. And I think the stakes are even higher when you're in the world of startups. And I'm really passionate about this topic because when I first met my husband, he was just um, leaving his corporate job and starting um, in the world of startups. He was um, the co-founder of a, a tech startup. And so I got a front row seat <laughs> to that emotional roller coaster. And it really kind of ignited a spark in me of saying, I really want to be able to help help this world. And, and I, that was back in well, when I first met him it was 2014. And along the years, I, I got to meet um, more founders, um, more people in the startup world. And I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, like, I'd really like to do something to, to help move the conversation here. But I don't think the, that world was ready yet for it. But I do think that um, with the pandemic, really as a entire, as, the, as a globe, like as a kind of a global community, um, the way we talk about mental health and fears and failures, I think has shifted. I think there's a lot more openness now because we all went through a sort of trauma together, right? And I don't think there was any way many people at least could deny that it wasn't something difficult. And, and so I do, I have a sense that there's more openness and, and in the startup world, I, ha I had the sense that it's kind of a tipping point that people are ready to talk more about the behind the scenes, the, the, not the like Silicon Valley, like I'm a perfect entrepreneur and here's my company and every, and, you know, I'm a six time founder and there are those stories, but behind the scenes, there's always something else going on too. And to be honest, I have a feeling that these stories are made Maybe they're created in such a way so that they encourage the public, which I respect. We do want to give words of encouragement, but I believe that in 99% of the cases, those stories are not really true. And people do this in order to be seen as the optimists, people that encourage, that give hope, which is wonderful. However... Mm -hmm. I think that maybe we do need a reality check like what COVID did for all of us. And just let us have a look into what's happening, as you said, behind the scenes, because there's so much going on. There's so much mental struggle and mental pain and the picture perfect scenario that most of us, and I also fell in this trap at the beginning of my business. I just wanted to share the very nice, wonderful effects that fear has created for me after I had taken the lessons. Mm -hmm. But this was not really true. I was just showing 1% of the reality of the struggle, the anxiety, and all of the unknown that comes with entrepreneurship. So that's why I applaud your initiative of working with startups. That's a bit struggle. That's more than a bit of a struggle that people are going through. So I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned mental health and behavior, mm -hmm. 
Today's podcast name was created just a few minutes before our talk because I kept on thinking, wow, you have such a rich area of expertise with behavior and with fear and people's amazing way of coping with failure. And I named it Change Your Behavior. Can you please share with us what do you think would be the first step for someone that is a startup at the beginning of their journey, wanting to start their business, but anxiety, maybe panic attacks, maybe great fear is truly making them postpone their big start. What would you say that these young people should focus on first? Yeah, it's such a good question. So yeah, so I do, I I work with startup founders as clients, but I also do work with entrepreneurs kind of like all, all over the, the spectrum of, of what an entrepreneur could be. Um, I also work with uh, solopreneurs, right? Coaches and therapists and other service providers. And there's a lot, I'm going to answer it just in terms of anybody who, wherever they're at in the world of entrepreneurship, because I think it, it's relevant. And one, I have to give a little bit of background though. Um, so when I moved back to Seattle, one of the things I did was I transitioned from providing therapy to providing coaching. And that means that I no longer work with people who have a diagnosable condition. So I no longer work with people who are experiencing depression or who are experiencing, I would say, severe panic attacks, um, OCD, eating disorders. Um, but I didn't work with clients who had that many, th th that severe of a concern at that time, or I mean, previously, because uh, I worked with a lot of expats who were needed support going through transitions, um, dealing with imposter syndrome, a lot of um, highly ambitious professionals who were struggling with imposter syndrome or procrastination or anxiety or work-life balance. And so it's more of those, I would say, not clinical kinds of issues that now I, that I tend to work with now. So one of the first things I would say is that, um, you know, find out, do you, what do you need support? Do you need more of a coach or do you need more of a therapist? Um, because my, my, I guess my first piece of advice is say to seek out professional help. And I think that's so hard for us to do when we're just starting and funds are tight. And we're like, just thinking about, you know, where does every, every kind of cent go in with our business? But it really is an investment. It's if, if you're not taking care of your mental well-being, there's really no way that your business can survive in the long run. Um, you need to think of yourself as one of the things that you're investing in, um, in terms of your company and thinking about it. Um, I really like talking about um, being an entrepreneur as uh, being a marathon and not a sprint, right? And I think so often we're like, I just need to get to the end of the month or I just need to get, you know, to reach these goals and check them off. But really... It's like being an athlete and you need to, you need to be thinking about it in the long run. Wow. I love this. And by the way, to everyone watching us and listening to us, please grab a pen and a piece of paper because this is amazing knowledge. And I'm just so blessed to say that this is again, another unbelievable masterclass that I am experiencing today. And that's why I advise that everyone make sure that you listen to this wonderful talk maybe two times and get these wisdom bombs because you're only to you're only going to get so much elevated and the at the end of this talk that you will not believe since many of us are indeed still struggling it's not like we have this magic formula okay you need to do this and this and this 
it's a work in progress. I wanted to ask you, what do you think that the best way in order to keep our mental health and a work-life balance, what would we need to focus on more than anything, Melissa? That's a good question. I'm pausing a moment to think, but actually I have the answer. <laughs> I would say the very first thing, actually, it's it's a basic thing but that we often ignore, sleep. Sleep is so important. I really, with when I talk to my clients, I, we put sleep at the foundation of things. And it doesn't mean like you need to get eight hours of sleep every night. Um, I, you know, I'm a mom of a toddler. I don't get eight hours of uninterrupted sleep every night, but I do think a lot about like how I can rest if I don't get an ideal night of sleep. And that's hard to do when you've got a lot of things on your to-do list, but it is, it's your, you know, your, your mental state is so different when you are sleep deprived and, you know, our, the, the fears feel so much bigger <laughs> when, when you're exhausted. So I would say that that's, that's one of the first things. And um, although I can share another thing too, you mentioned work-life balance um, and one thing that I find really helpful being a mom and a wife and a business owner and, you know, multi-passionate business owner, uh, one, it's a metaphor I came across and I don't remember where, but I found it so helpful to think about that. Um, you know, we've, when we're wearing all these kind of different hats, it's kind of like we're juggling and we're juggling, we're juggling a lot of different balls. Some of them are glass and some of them are plastic and what I remind myself is that there's no way I can keep all of the balls in the air every single day. And um, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So this is my, that part of my brain doesn't want to hear this. It's like, no, keep it all in the air. But I, but I have to remind myself of it because otherwise I will, I will burn myself out and I'll be miserable if I try to keep them all in the air because it's impossible. Um, and so what I try to do is just make sure I don't drop the glass ones, right? Like, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier, Roxana, my son was sick last week. And so a lot of plastic balls got dropped last week, but, um, my son was one of those glass balls in his health. And so, and, and thankfully for me also, I was able to, with some support, um, make my client calls one of those glass balls as well. So that didn't, didn't get dropped, but that sometimes some weeks the client calls have to be a plastic ball. So just really thinking about that, I think is just something that helps me so much with the work-life balance. I am absolutely loving these metaphors, Melissa, and I'm so grateful that you're giving me some amazing food for thought. And I know that to everyone listening, because at one point we need to use very clear discernment, what's most important. And I would say, since you mentioned burnout, I would say just burn the to-do list if we get very mindful, sometimes we get to see that maybe more than half of what we will need to do during a day, we can just skip, we can maybe delegate, we can postpone, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because what's the end goal at the end of the day? Mental health and having a life, building a life, not really building a business, because we want this business to be giving us some wonderful benefits. And if we think that it's going to be five years until I reap all the benefits from my business, it's just not going to keep us motivated. We need to have something that nourishes us each and every single day. What do you think about this, Melissa, about nourishing ourselves and not mm -hmm. postponing gratification? 
Oh yeah, I agree. Well, you make me made me think again about that that story we, metaphor we talked about with the driving the car, right? Like you're on a journey. You're supposed to be enjoying the journey. Um, you know, don't like kind of stop to smell the roses, so to speak, right? Like enjoy the scenery. And with my clients, I often talk and with myself too. I often think about like what's my why? What's you know, it's fear is in the back seat. Sometimes imposter syndrome is there too, and it's tough right? It's tough. There's those failures we talked about too. And I just think a lot about like, well, why am I doing this? And I'll tell you that um, I, I think I've always had part of my mission to be to help other people. And that's, you know, that really drives me. Um, but I will say also, I've, I've discovered over the years how important it is for me to have freedom and flexibility. Um, and that's something that my business can give me as well. Um, and the nourishment. Yes, I think it's so important. I, I talk a lot about um, self-care and self-compassion with my clients. And self-compassion really is, you know, about treating yourself the way you would treat a loved one, right? And really taking care of yourself. Again, like uh, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? It's about filling your cup and about um, gratitude. Gratitude is something that comes to mind for me too when we talk about nourishment. It's just, it's really trying to zoom out and see the big picture and, and appreciate the things, um, the things that you do have and the, the accomplishments you've made, right? Like, because yeah, we have fail failures and setbacks and things we have to learn, but there's usually a lot, even small things that we can celebrate and, and be appreciative for. Wonderfully said, Melissa. Oh my God. I'm just writing some great things here and I have... 20 more questions for you, of course. We don't have time for all of them. This has been such a revelatory talk. Can you please tell us a bit more about the imposter syndrome? Because I'm sure that most of us have heard about it, but we don't really know how do we deal with it? What's happening then? Yeah. Well, first I have to... So imposter syndrome is something that comes up with so many of my clients uh, it's something I have firsthand experience with too. Also one of those things that like for a lot of years, I kind of had it, but didn't really know what to call it. Um, I thought I was like, I'm like, oh no, I'm just really an imposter, right? I'm really going to be found out. But that's typical amongst people who have imposter syndrome is that they are usually like on paper, very successful, um, but they have this feeling of like, oh no, I'm going to be found out. Or what if I'm not up for the job? And the thing is, is that, well, first I have to say, I really don't like the term imposter syndrome. So I have a critique for the people who created that idea because it's not a syndrome. It's not a diagnosable thing. It, there's nothing wrong with you for having it. Uh, I think the statistic is 80% of people will, will have it at some point in their life. And so it's quite common. And actually what tends to happen is that the people who are aware of their deficits, aware of where they, you know, maybe could learn more or where they don't know enough, right? The people who tend to have imposter syndrome usually it means that they are like exceptionally intelligent and capable of knowing what's missing and what where they could learn even more. And so that's something I think about sometimes is like, okay, no, it's not that I'm an imposter. It's not that I don't know. It's actually just that I'm extra aware of everything else I could know. Um, and one more thing about imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome um, feeds on, imposter syndrome tells us that like, we will be found out, right? And that we shouldn't talk about it. And all this does is make it worse. So since figuring that out myself, I try to talk about it all the time and be very open about the fact that I experience it. 
Um, and that helps me a lot because then it's not like this thing in the corner that's like, ha ha ha, people are going to find out about you. I just, it kind of removes some of its power when you talk about it and it helps other people feel less alone. I can completely relate. I think that at one point we have all felt that I'm just not good enough to be talking about this. And what I realized soon after I would be telling myself, okay, you need to stop talking about this. Who gave you authorization to talk about this specific topic? And then I realized, well, it's me who needs to give myself the authorization and it's me being maybe a quarter of a millimeter of a step ahead than other people that have maybe been struggling with this issue. This gives me the authority to talk about this certain topic. What do you think about this, about just understanding that no one has it all, but just that very small portion of a step ahead that maybe we have allowed ourselves to discover inside of us, it truly gives us enough wisdom to talk about a particular topic and just help other people. Does this sound like a, a healthy advice? What do you think? Yeah, I'm nodding my head um, for, for anybody who's not watching the, the video. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it for a long time, because I, th I think um, being trained as a therapist, you have years of education that you have to go through and you're kind of told like, oh, you know, you really can't talk about things until you have your master's degree or until you have your PhD or until you do a post, like a postdoc or something like that. You know, it's like you have to get this like stamp of approval to be an expert of sorts. And I've actually really loved getting into the world of coaching because, well, I don't like the fact that like anybody could call themselves a coach because I think sometimes that could be problematic, but sometimes, not always, sometimes it could be problematic for people who are looking for a coach because they're like, what do I search for? What do I need to, you know, what's important? But really, I think most coaches have a very entrepreneurial um, kind of attitude, right? Where it's that you don't need to like, you know, have these five things on paper or this degree or things to, to be an expert. You need to have lived experience and pro probably have studied something as well. Um, and that you can help people quite a lot with that kind of experience. And I think that that can really combat imposter syndrome too, is just no, like, I love what you said. Um, cause I think it, it makes me think about the kind of coach model, right? Is that as a coach, you just need to be a few steps ahead of your client. You don't need to it's not hierarchical. It's not like I'm the expert. You're the person who needs to come, you know, have somebody help you figure it out. It's, it's really like, no, I'm, I know a little bit more than you and I'm going to help guide you and help you find some of the answers on your own. This is wonderful. And thank you for reinforcing this since I just need to mention this again. No one has it all figured out. Because we are just human beings and this is a continuous journey, as you said so beautifully a few minutes ago. Let's enjoy the journey. And my next question to you, Melissa, would be what truly inspires you? What sets your soul on fire to be continually motivating and helping your clients? Uh, I think it's two things that I have to say. I mean, one is something that I think has always inspired me and it's really seeing people um, 
seeing people who are willing to kind of dig in and get to know themselves better and do personal development work, whether that's therapy, whether that's coaching, um, because it's very courageous work to do. And so, you know, thankfully I get, I get to have a front row seat to that when I work with my clients. Um, and then I'd also say my son, right? He's a, he's a huge inspiration and a huge reason why I do the work I do. There are days where I think like, why am I complicating my life? Like, I don't think being a stay-at-home mom would be easier, but on days where I'm trying to juggle all the things, it sometimes feels like it would be easier. And I think like, okay, no, I had that. Maybe, maybe that's what I need to do. And then I remember that I really, for me, this isn't the right choice for everybody, but for me, it's really important to be a certain type of female role model for him, um, of somebody who is pursuing her career and is, you know, doing things outside of the house, outside of the family as well. And so that really, you know, seeing him growing up and knowing like, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm a good role model for him. It really inspires me too. I love this. And you did mention freedom and flexibility as some very important yeah. values for you. And I completely agree. What are we teaching our children if we are not fully fulfilled and just following our life's dream? And with my daughter as well, sometimes I travel, she's with my husband. My family is not sometimes... Um, my parents are not the most supportive in understanding you should be staying home, you should be taking care of your daughter. But then again, I'm thinking, well, I would literally not be the best version of me, of Roxana, if I don't truly nourish and fulfill my needs to help people, to elevate myself more than anything. Because if we, as you so beautifully said a few minutes ago, if we don't have a filled cup. I mean, you cannot pour from an empty cup. What are we teaching our children? So it's us maybe walking a bit around society's boundaries and what we should do, what we shouldn't do. But I think that you are managing quite nicely to put your hands on your ears <laughs> every time that you get maybe some... Um, negative feedback. And I wanted to ask you, Melissa, how do you deal with people maybe questioning your choices around motherhood and business and everything that you do? Yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, you said earlier, like when you have an initial failure or setback, like you might feel that pain. And I think I, I, I didn't mention this, but I consider myself somebody highly sensitive. Like I feel things very deeply and that helps me a lot. It helps me a lot to, um, to connect with my clients, mm -hmm. but it also means that some things can feel extra painful. And so I, you know, there's a couple, I think my instant reaction is usually to feel some pain around it, but I do also try to think about, um, who was it? It's Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. Um, she's wonderful. And she talks about how, um, she only listens to feedback from people who are also in the arena. So who are also like, you know, living daring lives, stepping out of their comfort zone, willing to risk failure, um, and that she doesn't listen to a feedback from people in the cheap seats. So like up in the auditorium, like in the way high up, like eating their popcorn and maybe throwing some at you. <laughs> I try to keep that in mind a lot because it's easy to criticize people, right? And I want to listen to feedback, right? I do, if it's somebody who I care about or who I think, you know, might have an interesting perspective to give me, I want to be open to learning. 
but I also can't get distracted by like every single little piece of feedback that's, that's coming to me. And I don't want to change my life plans, you know, based on what somebody in the cheap seat says. Wow. This is, this is life changing. So I need to, to say this to everyone watching us and listening to us, do not take advice from anyone that you would maybe not trade your life with. I'm just using different wording, but you know, although popcorn is nice <laughs> and can be distracting, do not fall for the trap of someone that's in their comfort zone, in their nice, comfy chair, just throwing things at you because they have no idea who you are and how much you have invested so that you can be down there in the arena. So I would say that you do you and you listen to the people that are doing what you do as Melissa so elegantly just said, oh my goodness, this is amazing knowledge that you are giving to us, Melissa. Thank you for mentioning Brené Brown because she has been such a pioneer in making sure that we just let our emotions get out there. It's not a shame to be vulnerable. It's not a shame to feel emotions because the last time we checked, we are still humans. Let's face it. So we need to be fully aware that sometimes we just may have awkward days, which also happens to me as yeah. well, to anyone. Melissa, what an amazing talk today. Thank you for being so open, so transparent, and for giving us so much of your wisdom. Can you please tell us all about your business and where can our audience get in touch with you and collaborate with you and know more about your amazing work? Yeah, of course. Um, well, before I share my links, I, I, something I realized talking with you that I didn't actually share with you in advance, Roxana, so I'll be sure to share the link with you. Um, but I do have a freebie available that might be interesting to people listening. And it's all about how you, it's a free guide to getting in touch with your inner coach, your inner compassionate coach. And um, it, you know, a lot of this stuff is related to the voice of that critical inner critic voice we have. And this is helping you to like overcome that voice and strengthen a different voice. Uh, it's something I use a lot myself. It's something I, I share with my clients. And so I'll, sh I'll share that um, with you so you can share it with your audience. Um, and then you can also find me on, yeah, um, you can find me on my website at melissaparks.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on Facebook. That's where, those are the places I'm the most active. Trying to get even more active on LinkedIn these days. Um, uh, it's, yeah, I've kind of like, burnt out a bit on Facebook and Instagram myself. Well, we all have our preferred platform and it's wonderful to choose one that truly speaks to you most. I feel like I'm more of an Instagram person, although my LinkedIn following has been growing quite a bit, but you do you, you are going to <laughs> for sure be followed by everyone watching us and listening to us. My fearless friends, you are going to find Melissa's wonderful contact details below, as well as the freebie. I cannot wait for Melissa to send me the link after <laughs> our talk so that you can truly benefit for, from this wonderful wisdom that Melissa is sharing with us. Have a talk with Melissa. She is beyond wonderful. 
such a cheerful, encouraging person, someone that has been through quite a bit of challenges with her own fears and anxiety, as she so beautifully mentions, but you can truly get to have so much life-changing wisdom that gets you to understand that, as Melissa said, fear is normal. You just need to find a way to work around it, get those lessons, and don't let fear change the frequency of your radio stations. Melissa, the metaphor about the fear in the backseat of the car, this is something that I'm going to keep with me for quite a while. This is brilliant. Thank you for being so open. Thank you for your amazing energy. And I can't wait to listen to your first episode of your newly launched <laughs> podcast. I cannot wait for the 21st of February to come shortly. Mm. Thank you so much for your support, Roxanne. I told you earlier, like it's just so inspiring to see others in the who have been podcast hosts for so so much time. It's kind of like it helps me, right? I'm like driving the car, and I'm like, oh, they're they're further ahead, and I want to get to where they're going. So um, it's really inspiring because there's a lot of fears and fear of failures that come into producing a podcast. Exactly, and you are doing an amazing job with just making sure that you are well more than anything, that you put yourself first, that you do the things that make you happy. And what better way to conquer your fears than to know that you will always find a way by just learning from everything that happens all around. Melissa, what a privilege. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for the opportunity, Roxanne. I really appreciate it. 